The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Cancelled Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for The Wrap and Bloody Disgusting and IGN, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic. I was on KCRW on Friday. Ooh. Or I guess last Friday. Ah. We talked about Digital Cats. Hmm. Yeah, Do can... you approve? Uh, not of the ones I saw. There have been a lot of digital cats lately. Cats are hard to animate. And you know why? They're cats. Because they're not expressive. Uh, like, screw you. I have two cats that are very expressive. Not in the same way dogs are expressive. You you make, like, a dog puppet. Dogs have, like, little eyebrow ridges. Mm-hmm. And they have expressive mouths. So when you animate a dog speaking, you can kind of see it a little bit. Like, they, they you can move a dog mouth like a human mouth and not be too freaked out. Cats' faces don't move like that. They don't have those sort of eyebrows. They have sort of cold expressions. They d- I, I'm sorry. I completely disagree with this. I've seen my cats give many a very expressive expression. Okay. But I, don't ever, I don't really agree with Have this. you ever seen a digital cat in a movie or a cat puppet in a movie that looked natural speaking, though? Like the puppet on Sabrina the Teenage Witch looks way more convincing <laughs> than even like anything from like cats and dogs or or the lion king movie i don't know i thought the villain in cats and dogs was it fluffy or some the, the kitty galore was was that the sequel though i thought the original oh yeah i guess wasn't... kitty galore was the sequel well it was called yeah. like revenge of kitty galore or oh, maybe it was kitty galore i could be wrong mm-hmm. we should look this up what was the name of the villain in cats and dogs hey everybody this week, on Cancel too soon. this week on cancel too soon we're reviewing we're reviewing a, a done in one pilot so we have time for this. So look up Cats and Dogs. <laughs> cats and Dogs, film series. Oh, God. Just uh, just want the I, one... Uh, oh, God. It's not, it's not Nathan Lane who plays it. Is it Sean Hayes? Sean Hayes plays the, the evil cat in that one. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, oh, golly. The plot, the characters. No one cares about the plot. Mm. I remember Jeff Goldblum played the human in that one, and he, there were several scenes of him like rubbing his face against animals because mm-hmm. uh, he was trying to cure uh, allergies. Mr. Tinkles. Mr. You're right. Sean Hayes played Mr. Tinkles. Mm-hmm. And he returned in the sequel, The Revenge of Kitty Galore. But having not seen that sequel, I can't say this with certainty, but I'm pretty sure he's not Kitty Galore. Okay. Pretty, Kitty so, Galore's got to be a different character, right? So Come Kitty on. Galore needs to be wronged in the sequel in order for Kitty Galore to have revenge. I don't even know if no, Kitty Galore be, Kitty Galore could be wronged in, like, the prologue or in a flashback. Okay. Doesn't need to, like, have an extended... a whole film demanding vengeance. I suppose John not. Wick spends an entire film getting vengeance for a dog. 
dog, the dog, the dog goes in the first twenty minutes. Ooh, that's your next cat, cats and dogs sequel. It's a, a spinoff to John Wick. Oh, someone kills the dog's human. Yeah, and he's got to kill, and he has to kill all the Russian dogs. Oh, I don't know. It's still pretty. Make dark. it super violent. No, we're not doing that. That sounds terrible. But anyway, this week I canceled too soon. Uh, we are reviewing a failed pilot for a television series called Suburban Beat. We don't have a clip for that. Sorry about that. Mm. Didn't mean to give you that pause and make you think, ooh, I'm going to hear a clip. No, there's no clip. Uh, suburban Beat is a is an hour-long mystery series about suburban housewives and their neighborhood watch who take it upon themselves to solve really dangerous and sketchy crimes. Yeah. And it has a great cast that it consists of uh, D. Wallace from E.T. and Cujo, back when she was D. Wallace Stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shelly Fabre, I'm thinking pronouncing that right. Uh, she uh, uh, she plays. Mm. She was in the Donna Reed show and Coach, and she was the voice of Ma Kent in Superman the Animated Series. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, we've got Patty Austin, a famous singer uh, who worked with Quincy Jones and a bunch of other super mega talented people. Had a bunch of hit songs all by herself. Uh, she had a, not as big an acting career, but you can also see her in Tucker, the Man in His Dream, uh, and Heather Langenkamp. Fresh off of A Nightmare on Elm Street. One year off of yeah. playing a teenager in Nightmare on Elm Street, she plays a, a suburban housewife who solves mysteries. And and you know what? She's better in this than she is in A Nightmare on Elm Street. You know you're not wrong. Uh, and I love her in Nightmare I, on Elm Street. Lo- she's good in that movie. Well, well, I love her in A Nightmare on Elm Street, but she's not good in that movie. I think she's fine. What are you talking I, about? I, what you, I think what's your she, critique? She, she has kind of a, a wooden acting style. I think she improved as an actress as the years passed. Well, by the time most you get people to, do. Yeah, by the time you get to Nightmare 3 and the new Nightmare, she, she actually has a lot more character. But in Nightmare on Elm Street, she's kind of a bland person. She yeah. plays, plays kind of Nancy's kind of a bland person. I think I think that's the character more than her performance. I, the char- so. They don't give the character a lot to worry mm-hmm. about other than the plot. Mm-hmm. Like if she had had more stuff on her mind, more character bits, maybe she would have brought out all that fun yeah. stuff you're talking about. However, and, I disagree and, with that. I think she's good in that movie. And, and Ronnie, Bla- like having her next to Ronnie Blakely, who plays her mom in that movie, who is like. Acting like her, she's doing like soap opera style acting, so she's really kind of broad and over the top. Like their two styles just don't match. All the scenes of the mom and the daughter together are kind of very strange. And then, well, movie. I think it's because they're supposed to be very different generations. Uh, well, that that's maybe the point, or it's just weird acting and that they shot on the fly. Are we are we starting to turn our Nightmare on Elm Street like as a culture? Is this the beginning? Like, now that, we, that, that we're turning on night? No, I love a Nightmare on Elm okay. Street. I think it's terrific. All right, just checking. But it's okay to criticize some of the bad <laughs> points in it. I think the performances could be stronger. Okay, that's that's fair. I disagree Heather, with you on this one, but Heather that's fair. Heather Langenkamp, however, is quite good in Suburban Beat. She's wonderful. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to say it right now. Everyone is wonderful Everyone's in Suburban is, Beat. And the premise is it's so it's an elevator pitch and uh-huh. it's it's an elevator pitch that gets a check. Oh yeah, it's because it's it's just an easy to consume cool idea that you start filling out in your mind immediately, you start casting it immediately, you start thinking of stories immediately like in a second. It's basically like a shared Agatha Christie universe like they're all Miss uh, Marples they're all, right. they're, everyone's a murder she wrote everyone's a, a what's her name in murder she wrote uh, Jessica Fletcher. Jessica. They're all. They're, that's the type. But there's like four of them, and they're all slightly different. Mm. So you get D. Wallace Stone, who is in now D. Wallace, uh, who is in a very loving marriage. She has two kids, one of whom uh, mm. is the lead singer of Rilo Kylie. 
Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't look that up. That's yeah, fun, right? Oh, how weird. Okay. Yeah, weird. Uh, so, uh, so she's got the, just right. this perfect housewife mm. mentality. You've got Heather Langenkamp, who is a young housewife, mm. uh, and this, this is all fitting in a very traditional like 1950s Ozzie and Harriet type mode. Yeah. And, and but they, then they shifted around. They live in the suburbs. I, they don't say of what city though. I think it, it, I think they say the city, but it's a made up town. It's a made up town. And so they don't I, say the I, state. I think they may have shot in Chicago. It wasn't Los Angeles. I don't think so. Um, in any case, yeah, all, uh, all, they they do go into quote the city uh, to explore the iniquities therein, um, and I think it's Chicago, but I could be totally wrong. Anyway, it's Heather probably Lang- Toronto. Heather Langenkamp plays the youngest uh, lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's married to a car salesman whose only lines of dialogue are about selling cars. She is also incredibly sheltered. She, she says things like H-E double hockey stick. She doesn't want to go into a bar she's, because what if her husband finds out? Well, she's super Christian. That, that's yeah. that's uh, one of her things. She's really sheltered. She's really innocent. She's very sweet. It's mm-hmm. not... It's, it feels genuine. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. not something that we're necessarily mocking her about. But yeah, she, she's... Uh, they say that she's like really heavily involved in her Methodist church. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she doesn't cuss. And she's... Uh, when she has to investigate crimes, comedy ensues. Uh, Shelly Fabre fed the bears... Fabri- Fabris, I think. Fabris, Shelley Fabris. Fabris is fabulous. She's a real. Uh, they're all good, yeah. but uh, <laughs> she plays. Uh, uh, she plays the divorcee in the neighborhood, and she's like in her forties, and she's she's the dating around woman. She's dating around, and she's actually you know seeing people and talking about having sex and wearing sexy lingerie, mm-hmm. and she makes Dee Wallace Stone feel a little uncomfortable, and she makes Heather Langenkamp yeah. very uncomfortable. Uh, well. Uh, Something I re- I kind of appreciate about Suburban Beat is this is about these really square characters. Mm-hmm. They don't have a lot of street experience. They don't know anything about crime. They're You say they're Miss Marples, but they're Miss Marples on their first case. No, you know what they are? Hmm. They're golden girls solving a mystery. So you've got Young, younger golden girls. Way younger golden yeah. girls. But like Heather, uh, Heather Langenkamp is obviously the Betty White. Okay, of, yeah, of the group. Fair. Uh, uh, Shelley Fabre is Rue McClanahan, the mm. sexy one. Uh, you've got uh, uh, D. Wallace as not quite B. Arthur. B. Arthur is a little sassier mm. than uh, uh, D. Wallace ever gets. But you do have D. Wallace also has an Estelle Getty. Mm. Uh, she also has a mom. Who it doesn't do much, but she's always sort of eavesdropping, mm. making a joke, and then leaving the scene. So yeah, this is young golden girls solving murders. Yeah, here's your check. That, great what, bitch! what a great idea. I want to see uh, that so bad. And you got a great dynamite cast for it. And a lot of fun, weird things happen on this show that make it a real treat. And we're going to tell you all about it. Uh, you can see this already. Starting now, like on, in maybe like a Showtime or, or Lifetime network sort of thing, mm-hmm. where they sell it as this kind of really square, almost moralistic world of the suburbs. And how they trek into the city where everything is kind of dark and wicked. <laughs> yeah. So you get that great that great cross-section of audiences. The people who are kind of tut-tutting but really want to see the vice. And the people who just love these women taking agency and solving crimes. Yep. And of course... Are, what a great idea. And, and there is one more member of the cast, of course. It's mm. Patty Austin. Now, Patty Austin's character is the one who's a little... Mm, She's the one who's brought in from outside. She yeah. doesn't live in the suburbs. Well, what happens is she runs the local tavern, mm. and she is famous for being a woman of sin. And it turns out that what she did was, back in the day, she used to be a sex worker. Mm. 
And a, oh, the a, scandals. A lady of the evening. So she's the person they bring in. It's kind of like the plot of Tower Heist where they bring in Eddie Murphy because mm. they're a bunch of white people and they don't know anything about crime. So they bring in the only black person they know. Mm. So like this part is kind of great. But she's wonderful in it. She's mm. having a lot of fun. She's got this early, like, she's got this Octavia Spencer vibe, where yeah, she's, like, full yeah. of energy and strength and, and kind knowledge. of righteous anger. And, yeah, she's she, really she, smart. She's kind of the... Uh, well, she's an entrepreneur. She runs a successful mm. business. And what I love is not one of them is the leader. Yeah. Like, they're all equally in charge of making every decision. And they all contribute something at some point. They all mm. pick up on a clue, or they and all notice something no one else had. The, yeah, they bring in their own field of expertise to the mystery. Which, oh, yeah. Which I love. When, when, have have, when you have a group, on, like, like an ensemble problem-solving crew of some kind, yeah. uh, each person has to have their own unique perspective for that to work. But if also they have has, something to do, something yeah. to contribute to the, to the crime like, fighting. Like, you get a team of, like, even if they're interesting characters, but they're all, like, soldiers. Think, think of something like aliens. Yeah. It's like, they don't each have their field of expertise. They're, they're all the same. Eh, they, they kill off all, the ones who are all the same pretty quickly, and then we're left with some of the ones with distinct the, the personalities. Is, they have distinct personalities, but they don't have distinct skill sets, and they're uh, not solving the problem from various angles. Perfect example of this, mm. Sneakers. Sneakers is great. Every character in Sneakers has something to do, something to mm-hmm. contribute. They're all very different characters. Um, and and here we do get and that. And they well. get that, that really kind of obvious plot point rundown of the characters in Sneakers. It's like, oh, yeah. what about this? Like, they're actually, like, reading off a sheet. What about this character? Ah, he has good hands. What about this character? He can listen very well. <laughs> How about him? I hear he has a temper problem. Yes, but he's very tough. Well, they hide that pretty well. They're, that's something you need it's, in a lot of ensemble pieces, that kind of character it's thing. It's graceful, but it's obvious. Yeah, here, here it's a little bit uh, more subtle than that. Yeah, yeah. But, um, no, it's just a really fun cast of characters. Before we get into the storyline, uh, real fast, some... Uh, some uh, uh, vitals. Vitals. Uh, this aired, it was one of the, uh, back in the day when networks would air failed pilots as failed pilots. Uh-huh. In the 70s, they would take failed pilots and they present them as movies of the week. Right. And if they were really good, maybe there was a chance they could be saved and become series. But mm. usually, we spent the money on it, now they're a movie of the week. Uh, in the 80s and a little bit in the early 90s, every once in a while, a main a network like NBC, which is where this aired, would say, listen, we paid the money for it. We'll put it on in the summer sometime. Yeah. Maybe we'll get a few higher ratings than, I don't know, repeats of Finder of Lost Loves. <laughs> uh, so this aired on August 17th, 1985. Uh, it was written by Brad Buckner and Eugenie Ross Lemming, who have a very extensive writing career. They worked a lot on shows like Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, which is awesome. <laughs> Lois and Clark, which was a delight. Mm. And Supernatural, which is still on. <laughs> so they're still getting work. I mean, I think they're just about to get canceled. But regardless, like, it's insane. Uh, it was directed by, mm. I'm going to possibly pronounce this wrong, Michael Vehar. Uh, he directed uh, episodes of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, Star all the, Trek, all the Star Treks, pretty much, except for the original series, Star Trek: mm. Voyager, Deep Space Nine, Enterprise, Next Generation. He directed episodes of Legend, which we've covered on the show and really yeah. liked a lot. A couple other shows we've covered on uh, here, a lot Robocop. Of Robocop, yeah, yeah. Uh, he also did Fantasy Island, Incredible Hulk, Babylon Five. He's worked on everything. He, uh, he yeah, one one of. A, a name we should be like we're familiar with the name. I've seen his, his credit so many times. Yeah, I feel like I should be more familiar with his style. But like I should be able to spot his style by now. But the he, problem is I've seen so much of his work, uh-huh. like in such great quantities at such uh, formative times in my life, that I think 
Michael Vehar style is just TV. Well, I, again, <laughs> when you're working in television, uh-huh. you don't get to put too much of a stamp on the stuff right. you do. There is, from almost every show on television, there is... The master aesthetic. Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's something. You have to shoot it a certain way. You have to use this color scheme. Got to have this sense of humor. And unless you're doing a very distinctive special episode, you do have to follow along. However, in a pilot, you do get to set that tone. Yeah. So what he the tone he sets in Suburban Beat is spry. Mm-hmm. Funny, filled with character, actually a very like a pretty good murder mystery script. Like it's not gonna like I don't know, it's not gonna win an Edgar Allan Poe award or anything. But like it's a it's a solid episode of TV murder mystery. A mm-hmm. uh, lot of reversals, a lot of twists, a couple of red herrings. Um, and yeah, he gets the idea that this is a cozy mystery. Mm. With a wonderful cast. That's it. That's what we want. uh, I'm trying to figure out, when did the cozy mystery, like as a genre, subgenre, begin? It's it's, it's Miss Marple. Miss Marple? Miss Marple's totally, I mean, it certainly defined it. Yeah, I I guess so. Yeah, the little old lady solving mystery, knitting in the back of like courtrooms and everything. Yeah, she's Miss Marple. Okay, Miss Marple. Yeah. That's that's where it is. It, It wasn't always popular. Mm-hmm. wasn't always like a big thing I but feel like, like there was, I, I remember there even a, when I was a little yeah. kid I was reading cozy mysteries in like the 80s I, I feel like there was an explosion of it like in the late 80s like a, a lot of Miss Marple type mm-hmm. novels I, I guess Murder She Wrote kind of brought it back Murder She Wrote definitely became like this thing like oh so like little old ladies mm-hmm. solving murders that was such a I mean, it was it was a uh, what's the word I'm looking juxtaposition? for juxtaposition it was a weird juxtaposition mm-hmm. it was something like oh I, I didn't see that coming if you're a very conventional TV watcher and never heard of Miss Marple. <laughs> the other thing we Shiro did, of course, was uh, Jessica Fletcher was kind of famous. So, like, yeah. you know, there was some celebrity thing here. It gave her an excuse to go to different towns or book signings and when always gets murdered. I, I, I even as a kid, I actually started at my mom and my grandmother watched Murder She Wrote, and I had to start asking how many people have died in this town. I was like nine. Yeah, it's like how many people have been murdered in Jessica Fletcher's town. That's why she's got to keep going elsewhere. Yeah, because otherwise, well, it, they, otherwise everyone in town would be dead by well, the end but, of the but series. Like, but like season three, they started going elsewhere. But like the first three seasons, she's just people dropping like flies in her hometown. I mean, that's that's one of the tricks with this kind of show, where you have people who live in one location mm. and are solving mysteries around that location. After a while, you have to say to yourself, what is wrong with this? Well, it's like NCIS, for example. They're criminal investigators in the Navy. And they've been like 2,000 episodes of that show. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, the Navy is the most crime-ridden place <laughs> in the world. Same with JAG. And yeah. <laughs> like, it really when, makes it seem like a really horrible place to work. Yeah, when, when you do like Law and Order. And that's not or, just behind the scenes yeah. at NCIS, by the way, which I've all heard the stories, but you know, uh, but, uh, just the, the Navy itself. It doesn't do the Navy any favors. It's weird to me. And, and they needed the Navy's cooperation to shoot on ships and get the uniforms and right? stuff. So... Who, I, I guess they're okay with it. The it's Navy signed off on it. Super weird. It's yeah, super it's, weird. It's not like me. Law and Order or CSI where they're cops and they live in a huge city where there is a lot of crime. No, there's going to be at least one major crime a yeah. week. Why not? Yeah, yeah. and the, there there are lots of murders in big cities. And with Murder She Wrote, you've kind of written yourself into a corner because of the title. You have to do a murder every uh-huh. single week. With Suburban Beat, it starts with a murder. Doesn't always have to be a murder. No, there's all kinds of you could do kidnappings and theft and mm. uh, hell, you could do a, a serial jaywalker episode. It might be, actually be kind of funny. Like you could, yeah. you could all variety of crimes mm. are on the docket because he didn't write and, himself into a corner. And uh, indeed, in the pilot episode, they're trying to run a. St- Sting on a, a sex working ring. 
Uh, yeah. So the pilot episode begins with Dee Wallace Stone uh, going about her morning, taking care of her kids, everything. Mm-hmm. It's a big hectic morning, but everyone's having a good time. The robot doesn't work. That'll come back later. Oh, yeah. The kids <laughs> have a toy robot. like It's like a Teddy Ruxpin. Uh-huh. And uh, it does a bunch of like audio stuff, like play cassettes, and mm-hmm. like you can use it as a microphone loudspeaker. Um, and Dee Wallace Stone is like, hey, everyone, like, trying to get her husband to help with the kids so that she can do her gardening in the morning. And then she does the gardening, and then the camera pans over all of her roses, and then at the base of the roses is a pair of dead human legs with like fancy pumps which is just a great image like, yeah, I feel like that's yeah, the yeah. cover of the novel right there mm. it's really really sweet and then it cuts immediately boom I call it garden of death it cuts immediately to the neighborhood watch meeting apparently it's been mm. two days and mm. the cops are investigating there is a new cop who is the liaison for the community and the neighborhood watch. His name is Mike DeSantis, and I swear there's an actor or a real person in the world named Mike DeSantis. Um, anyway, he's, uh, this actor was in uh, Command 5, which is a failed pilot we need to watch at some point. Uh, a show about uh, flight attendants from the 1970s called Flying High, which was also canceled too soon. And also a show called Calling Dr. Storm. <laughs> the actor is named Stephen Parr. Yeah, Stephen Parr. Uh, he's been in a lot of stuff like this, so we'll probably run into him uh, a fair amount. Uh, the cop just tells everyone, like, hey, don't worry. Just don't, if you're walking at night, walk in pairs. That's all I got to say. And meanwhile, D. Wallace and everyone else is just like, hey, can you give us some more to work with you? We're really nervous. We knew this person. She was in our community. Mm. And he's just like, nope. And that's that. Not satisfied with those answers, they say. <laughs> well, and and this is a, a great way to start this premise because they already have an interest in watching over the neighborhood, their neighborhood watch. Yeah, it's it's a good setup the, already. The, the history and neighborhood of, watch was very big in the eighties. It really was. Do you remember when they started putting those signs up I everywhere? Went yeah. in my neighborhood. I don't think I ever went to a meeting, but I know my parents yeah, did. I, I imagine they're in every neighborhood all over the country. Well, do people still talk about the neighborhood watch? I don't see signs anymore. I see the signs. I don't know if anybody's actually members of any kind of neighborhood watch anymore. If anyone is, I think they're all defunct. If anyone's listening from another country or a place where they don't have a neighborhood watch, a neighborhood watch is a local citizens community. It's kind of like the PTA, where everyone who has like a kid at school gets together for a meeting once a month to talk about relevant issues. I don't know if they're sanctioned or financed by any sort of by any civic means, or if it's all just private. Uh, privately owned. However, they often have uh, they've often communicated with local law enforcement, and sometimes they local law enforcement talk. But basically, a neighborhood watch is an organization for people who live in a very specific community within a few blocks, whatever, uh, who just keep an eye out for crime. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's someone loitering. Oh, there's someone. There's someone looking through windows. Oh, maybe I should call someone. The it's about. Yeah. It's about not. It's about actually giving a crap about other people in your community. Mm. Theoretically. Theoretically. Yeah. Um, Yes, the actual history of Neighborhood Watch is kind of racially dodgy, but uh, yes, it yeah. is. The uh, I, I still to this day love the symbol of the Neighborhood Watch uh, community. Mm. Uh, like it's like a mysterious silhouetted it's, yeah, figure. It's a with, silhouetted with figure, eyes. like little white beady eyes, uh, like a Dick Tracy hat and coat. Like it looks like a Dick Tracy villain. See, I always thought that guy looked cool. I always assumed yeah. that was the Neighborhood Watch guy. And he was like watching the neighborhood, <laughs> no, looking for looking for evildoers. Like no, he was that, the shadow. That, that figure was the shadowy figure that you're looking out for. But he was watching. We saw his eyes. That's true. I was so confused. And and it's it's stylized in such a way that it looks like it has a mouth, like it's its neck. Yeah, it's really so, uh, weird. Uh, it actually, has this like yeah. kind of Pac-Man mouth. I always love that thing. I wish I had a T-shirt with that thing on it. Did you ever have the Pestilator Man? 
the pestilator man there was there was a local and occasionally a you'll f- see fuller brush man no there's like, occasionally you'll see it in like movies set in LA like big ass spider which is a really fun giant spider movie mm-hmm. uh it has a pestilator man there is a uh, uh, in in Los Angeles, there is a pest control pest exterminator company. I forget what I think. I forget what they're called. Mm. But they had their symbol, and it was a guy in a top hat, sunglasses, a big nose, mm. who was like had one hand behind his back with a giant mallet, and the mallet oh, had a spring yeah. on it, and then the other hand was like sort of beckoning to a cockroach or a rat. It was a mouse. It was a mouse dressed as a burglar. Yeah. So the idea was it was this really fancy dressed pe- yeah, pest looks, control guy. Looks like a Fle- like Fleischer cartoon. And they yeah. would have statues of these dudes, and they would have on the, the back statues of the trucks. on yeah. the back of the trucks, and you could buy them. And we had guy, one yeah. in my backyard. You had the statue? We had a pestilator man, yeah. That is great. Yeah, it was great. It was cool. <laughs> I'm going to hang on to that someday. Like, we're never getting rid of that thing. That thing I didn't know cool. what it was called. It was just the, the guy I, on the back of the exterior. It might have been a name we invented for it, but to us, the he was pe- the pestilator man. The pestilator. I think you made that up. It's still a good one, though. I think he's the Orkin man, maybe? Not the Orkin or? man. The Orkin man's or- different. The Orkin or- man had, like, the cyborg suit and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Orkin man was different. Orkin okay. man was, like, a superhero. Pestilator Man was like Monopoly guy if he beat up mice. Captain Roto Rooter who had his Roto Rooter robot. I don't remember that at all. And AD do, and we're we're talking about AD do. Yeah, all all these local LA businesses. Local LA businesses are great commercials. I'm sure every community has these. I never really lived in a place other than Mm. Los Angeles, but I love that there are certain LA Mm. commercials, businesses, ad campaigns that if you're from LA, you know the. You're killing me, Larry yeah. guy. Because there's these series of radio commercials. Well, that, that's that's Sealy. He's all over the country. Is that all over the country? Yeah. You're killing me, Larry. Okay, what's the one I'm thinking of? Yeah, how about, oh, we'll how, beat any advertised price. So your mattress is free. That's also the Sealy guy. That's um, the same guy. It's the same. It's the same ad campaign. But what? Yeah. <laughs> what, am I, what am I confusing you with? There's one that's how local about, though. Something that's local to Los Angeles. He's dead now, but a Cal Worthington, for instance, oh, who did yeah. Cal Worthington Ford. And everybody knew Cal Worthington Ford because he did his commercials. If you want a car or truck, go see Cal to the the tune of "If you're happy and you know it." If you want a car and truck, go see Cal. And he would walk, oh, walk yeah. and he would walk around his lot with like a, his dog Spot, but his dog Spot was some exotic animal. Like this time, it's a tiger. This time, it's a seal. Oh yeah, those are good. I'll club the seal for a better deal. Anyway, back to Suburban Beat. Uh, Suburban Beat, the plot kicks <laughs> off when they go to a bar and all the dudes are buying the, the new widower mm. a drink. And he asks D. Wallace Stone and Heather Langenkamp and, um, oh my God, I'm so bad with names. Uh, Shelly, Shelly Fabry. Shelly Fabry. Uh, he asks them, like, hey, listen, my wife had all of this, all of her belongings, and I know she would have wanted me to give them the charity, but I can't bring myself to do it. Would you mind? Mm. And they say, sure. So they go. And when they go, they find some suspicious things, like a hidden clutch of sexy lingerie. Which, like, uh, not just which, there for her husband, but like clear, clearly hidden. Mm-hmm. And also, so like... She, she had sexy teddies and what have you, just for fun. Yeah, and not for her husband. And, and this is suspicious. I love that never once, because you can tell it's the 80s, never once do they say to themselves, maybe it's her husband's? Because like, that's, uh, that's that, that would be a theory I'd like at least consider. Like maybe that that was his lingerie. Yeah, maybe he wears lingerie. Who cares? But like it's well, possible. Maybe, maybe she wears it just to wear it. It doesn't have to be for her husband. Well, my, again, they puts, they decide puts it, puts it on, then puts on a dress and goes out because she wants to feel sexy. Well, Why not? Well, and this this goes on with mm. uh, I love Heather Langenkamp's uh uh like maid. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is Heather Langenkamp has a maid, and the maid is supposed to be there to clean the house. But Heather Langenkamp is pre-cleaning with the maid. Like, listen, <laughs> I vacuumed up everything, so now you can dust, right? And she's just like, I don't know, it's pretty dusty. Okay, I'll dust. 
that you could really dust, right? Sure. And then the maid just sits down and puts her feet up. Mm. And then uh, uh, <laughs> that's a really funny scene. It tells you a lot about it, like a guest mm. character. And then uh, someone com- uh, comes uh, to her door and says, oh, I heard you were at the, the Den of Iniquity last night, so I thought maybe you'd want to join us in this sort of... Uh, La- lingerie party. Yeah. It's like, like a Tupperware party, but with sexy lingerie. I've seen those in porno movies. Yeah, and only you know, porno movies. Actually, they, they're probably a real thing. I'm sure they are. I know, like, uh, there are, like, toy par- adult toy parties. Mm-hmm. Women get together and sort of exchange gossip and examine one another's toys and, you know, sell toys. Mm-hmm. It's it's like Tupperware, but for no, sex it's, toys. It's Avon. It's all yeah. it's, it's that kind of suburban that, that entrepreneurship. That Avon thing, yeah. but yeah. So I imagine... There probably is sexy lingerie Avon style. Honestly, it's not. It's even if it was fictional, it wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. So she has been uh, approached by this other neighbor lady who wants her to sell sexy lingerie because she thinks she can sell sexy lingerie. And she mentions something. Uh, uh, no, sorry. She leaves, and then Heather Langenkamp's maid says, "Oh, that lady is a sex worker, and she uh, she mm-hmm. sells herself at a, at the hotel downtown." Yeah. And Heather well, Langenkamp is a bit shocked. So and what happens is those two things converge, mm-hmm. and what they realize is that, okay, so the murder victim had sexy lingerie, her husband probably didn't know about it, and we found out she had like a matchbook or something from that hotel. <gasps> she must be a sex worker. She was a lady of the night. So they go to the cop from the neighborhood watch, and the neighborhood watch guy immediately goes, that's really thin. Well, that's really thin, and also, what you you haven't found a crime yet. You found some weird connections, but like, yeah, at, at best, that's no, all circumstantial. Yeah. Like, right, and right. he's right, and that's something that's actually hard to do mm. in when you're writing a crime mystery, which is get something that is suspicious enough to get your protagonist interested, present it in a way that makes the protagonist interested. But when the protagonist presents it to anyone else, it feels thin. Yeah. Great example. This so is the Rear prota- Window. The protagonist has to do it, not a, yeah. just an ordinary cop. You look at Rear Window, James Stewart is like watching Lars Torvald through his binoculars. And when we see it through his binoculars, yeah, it looks really freaking suspicious. Mm-hmm. When he tells everyone literally what he's seen, free of context. It uh, yeah. sounds like you didn't see a damn yeah. thing. I saw him pulling a big suitcase into his room. Okay. That is a common thing. People, people do, do that people sometimes. People do do that. Yeah. No, it, it means there's a murderer. Really? Because I did that the last trip I... Wait, what? Yeah, it doesn't mean a damn yeah. thing. So, naturally, they have to find more evidence. And mm-hmm. they uh, decide to uh, consult their local former sex worker. Everyone has one, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, she agrees to help out, and eventually they realize that uh, this person who has been going around town trying to recruit people to do sexy lingerie parties uh, is, is also is, recruiting people to be sex workers, like local suburban housewife sex yeah, workers. The uh, the sexual politics here are pretty sketchy. They're judgy as hell. The, yeah. The, the, uh, the idea is you are more conducive to becoming a sex worker... And to giving your life over to a, an evil pimp, mm-hmm. if you are, like, if your libido is a certain level, like you have to be hor- you have to be a horny enough housewife that you'll just become a sex worker. But the, but the movie, sorry, the show has some humor about that. There's like a line where uh, the woman who does the lingerie parties is talking to all these characters. She's like, "Listen, my husband works nights, and I'm an insomniac. It was bound to happen." <laughs> That's a funny line. It's a funny line. It's, it's, like, it's, 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 it's flip, but it doesn't really take the edge off well, of this this notion that women with sexual agency are kind of ripe for 
being sex workers. Well, there's a lot of like tropes from the 80s that are sort of being incorporated into this all at once. Mm. Uh, one is the idea of sort of women taking on, women who were formerly just housewives mm. taking on new forms of responsibility, work, outside interests, etc., much to their husband's chagrin. There's a lot of movies and shows about it. Mm. Mr. Mom is like that, you know? Yeah. Um, then there are stories of uh, the, the housewife who uh, is unhappy in her sex life and pursues sexy times or even mm. becomes a sex worker. There's a ton of orig- life- lifetime original movies no, heck, like fa- about that. Fatal Attraction. Like, there yeah. you go. There's a lot of that. Mm. Um, so we've got the, all of these things are kind of converging at once yeah. in Suburban Beat. Some, some more gracefully than others. Yeah. Some more judgmentally than others. But they're all there. And then when the action kicks in, which is pretty quick... Um, after Heather Langenkamp like sees that lady off in mm-hmm. her house, uh, a diaper van tries to mow her over, and there's this great <laughs> shot of the diaper van just like it's on the sidewalk, knocking down one line of picket fences after mm-hmm. another. Before well, this like forty year old lady just like dash, dashes she, oh, yeah, in front a, of a tree and does like a tumble. A woman, it's a great yeah, stunt. She, she dives out of the way, and everybody says, "Oh my god, what happened? Are you all right?" And she's just and she just brushes her hair and says, "Ah, none of your business." Yeah, mind your own business. I'm like, I you just knocked down like. <laughs> Three fences. <laughs> this, uh, you, you're making is, it our business. This is a little. You saying none of your business is more suspicious <laughs> than if you had panicked and said, "Oh my god, a truck tried to run me over for no reason." Yeah, could have said, "I don't know what that truck was doing." That's less suspicious than you saying, "Never mind." <laughs> Just you, you saw nothing. She does the Jedi mind thing. Um, so uh, uh, meanwhile. Um, Shelly Fabre is dating the perfect dream guy, and he turns out to be the pimp. Yeah, which they see like they're gonna they're, they've tracked the lady down to see like her meeting with her pimp at the hotel, and then it turns out the pimp is someone Shelly Fabre is currently dating. So she immediately like runs and hides under the table in a very funny scene, and uh, Heather Langenkamp ends up the, in order to get. In the inside dirt, she has to put on a sexy lingerie party, which is so against mm. everything she believes yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. So that's a very funny scene in and of itself. <sighs> Finally, like it turns out the pimp has other pimps he works for. Like, I guess it's like a pyramid pimp scheme. <laughs> I, I guess. I'm a little hazy on that. You, you, re- you recruit other pimps, and they recruit other pimps, and that... Somehow that, you so, make money. Yeah, then there's, then there's nothing but pimps and no sex workers. <laughs> um, it boils down to... Uh, Heather Langenkamp and Shelley Fabre have to pretend to be sex workers. Yeah. And, and they, they look like any woman from the 1980s. Like, they, they do their makeup really severe, they tease up their hair, and they put on big, shiny blue suits with giant shoulder pads. It's great. It's which, the best. Which is a look I love just because I grew up with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's the way a woman looked to me when I was a kid. That's yeah, that, just... was, that was the way people looked on TV yeah. for the longest time. Even my mom had a perm, and it, golly, it was awful. Do you remember when Miss Piggy got a perm? No. In the Muppets Take Manhattan, she had like that oh, big, yeah. frizzy, curly hairdo. I forgot about that, like you're right. It was like super, like the most 80s possible thing was when Miss Piggy got a perm. I totally <laughs> forgot about that. So they, what happens is they put on a wire... And they're going to get uh, the the pimp to admit that he's a pimp, mm. which they can't do. Going going to pimp pimp hotel, pimp and heights. They go to pimp heights, and 
they end up uh, there's oh it's okay the Johns will tell us everything we need to know problem is the Johns are in from out of the country and they only speak Swedish so they're chasing them around the, the hotel room like a Benny Hill sketch and then the, it's, the, it's pretty slapsticky and then the mega pimps show up like the super pimps who are in charge of our regular pimp <laughs> they're part robot no they're not really part robot that, that's one level of crazy too much for suburban beat and <laughs> they immediately they take the young women and they take them and there's this hilarious scene mm-hmm. in which the mega pimp has Heather Langenkamp take dictation about why she's being killed. <laughs> and she's great at it. She's just like, okay, is this business or personal letter? Business. Okay, do you want block in the, you want block uh, paragraphs or indented? I don't care! <laughs> it's very fastidious. It's a very funny scene. Well, and then I'm, they're going to bury it, and they're like in like a mortuary, so they're going to put him in a coffin and bury him alive. That, that was something I didn't quite understand. Like, where did the, the hearse, they, there's a chase with a hearse yeah. shortly after this. And I had to go back because I didn't know where the hearse came from. Yeah, there's there, just a car on the street. It turns out there's a mortuary nearby. Yeah, that's where that's 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 so, where the pimps do their business. That's yeah, their so, secret. So Shelly yeah. Shelly uh, Fabulous and Heather Langenkamp get in the, into the hearse and start driving away. Uh-huh. And the, the bad the di- guys chase after them in the diaper. The van. diaper van gives chase, and there's a pretty good car chase scene with a hearse and a diaper van. Meanwhile, D Wallace and um, is it Patty Austin? Mm. Yeah, Patty Austin Pat are, are in a regular, just like, like uh, a station uh, wagon, just yeah. a station wagon with like wood paneling, and they're chasing after them too. And everyone keeps constantly turning around on the street and going the wrong way down streets, mm. and everyone's just freaking out the whole time. And it's a delight. Well, and we get to see Heather Langenkamp sort of be brave. It's like, okay, you have to go down this. Do people come up this way? Will they chase us? No. I'm steering into traffic. Well, and you it's see really her. Fantastic. There's this great shots of Tether Langenkamp where all of a sudden you see that she's a really, she's like a really offensive driver. She's always on the offense. Right. She's like leaning in over the steering wheel. And like, <laughs> she's like, she's hilarious in those scenes. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, this is where she signs. Yeah, they they are, are cornered in an, in an alleyway. Uh, this was my favorite scene because of the payoff with the robot. Yep. There was a broken robot toy at the beginning. You thought it went nowhere, but it turns out D Wallace put that on the top of her car. It's got a police like light and a mic on it and she poses like a cop and that stops them from killing off the heroes but then just, just long w- enough for the real cops to show yeah, yeah and then yeah. just when it looks like everything's gonna be okay the robot says something like i am a robot yeah. take me to your leader and the pimps are like those are very unusual cops but then the actual <laughs> cops show up and then the cops are like okay great you solved this crime i hope you got it out of your system ladies mm-hmm. now go off and be housewives that's but your then, job but then in the epilogue they they go back to yeah they go back to the police station Detective Mike DeSantis says, you ladies don't do that anymore. And they say, okay. And then they sneak on over to the big bulletin. Yeah. Like and Heather point- Camp recognizes that one of the most wanted criminals in the area, like, works at her, was it dry cleaner or something? Or a restaurant so, downtown? Some, yeah. And she's she, like, she I know that guy. Him, yeah. I know that guy. That guy works at that, uh, that store downtown. And they're like, okay, get out of here. And then they sneak back in and it's then they t- take t- the t- most t- wanted yeah. sign. Uh, roll credits. I want to see the next episode. It, it's such it's such a cute premise. It's, it's so such great. a great cast. I think the only downfall was they started with the sexy episode. Uh, they needed, nowhere, you think there's nowhere to go? After well, no, well, I think the sexy episode is something you save up for, sort of like uh, something to do a little that's a little off the status quo. Well, there's they a, needed something a little bit more straightforward, just a straightforward murder mystery, something with. I don't know, blackmail or or mobsters. Mm, you think it's going to start a bit more milk toast? Yeah, they needed to do something way more straightforward well, we, that, that we could just see them do 
like base like the ba- get the baseline reading of what these of what a crime would look like in this town. I feel like before we you got spin it, off and do a little bit more an exotic crime like lingerie parties and secret pimps. Uh, for the record, we say sexy episode. We see none of the characters in lingerie. No, there's it's there's, all there's very no, reserved. There's no actual sex. There's talk of sex, and mm-hmm. Shelley Fabre talks a big game, and she's probably sleeping with everybody, and good for her. But <laughs> it's not a it's not like a fan service episode like where you're watching an anime and then for no reason there's a beach episode and all the characters are in bikinis playing mm. volleyball even the male characters yeah no 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 not them <laughs> oh yeah not as often anyway mm. um but like you know you see that even in good anime like food wars is, has this all over there's just completely unnecessary boob shots but yeah, here during, this is yeah. very much a normal show Dude. and i don't think that's the issue i'm actually struggling to figure out who the fuck turns this show down? Because this is bright. It's, it's funny. It's, it's a good, got a, it's a good idea. Uh-huh. It's a good cast, and it was executed perfectly well. It's great. The like only, there's not a major only, flaw in it. The only problem, is, well, here here's here's the thing. They're clearly yeah. trying to. What I was saying earlier about a lifetime movie. They're they're trying to appeal to two audiences: mm-hmm. people who like crime stories and conservative housewives. Well, I think there's a lot of overlap there. And absolutely, there is. Yeah. But I think the sex story, the mm, secret pimps, the uh, housewives with secret desires, to, like they, they all want to be Belle de Jour all of a sudden. <laughs> it, like the, the, all these housewives secretly want to be Belle de Jours and that they're being recruited to be Belle de Jours might have been a little too edgy for at least one of those audiences. You know, maybe, but honestly, they didn't give it a chance. Like, they didn't mm-hmm. actually, like, take this series and let them figure it out. What we're talking about is what we think they were nervous about. Yeah. I'm sure they did some test screenings, and I'm sure some people didn't like it, because some people don't like good stuff. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, we've we've done it plenty of shows on Cancel Too Soon that were excellent and didn't make it past the pilot or didn't make it past the first season. Mm. And a lot of, and, and honestly, I'm actually curious if, we, if anyone's run the numbers on mm. how many shows that we've seen that got like a positive versus a negative like that we actually said was canceled too soon versus wasn't uh-huh. I'm actually curious about this but it feels like it's about 50-50 to me yeah like we, we like a lot of the stuff that we see there's a lot of really really good shows that don't find an audience for one reason or another and when you're watching a failed pilot such as on like Suburban Beat which was really really good it becomes extra tragic because we didn't even give the audience a chance to tell us they didn't like it yeah. You know, it's not like you aired one episode and the ratings were so bad or there were complaints to the network and so they didn't bother airing anymore. They just shuffled it off and on a, in, an, in August when no one was watching TV at the time. And, and this is like, this is a really obscure pilot. It aired in 1985. There's not a lot, like we can't do a lot of internet research to figure out if like... No one talks the about network this had, show. The network had swapped presidents and that was an abandoned project from the previous administration, mm-hmm. uh, th- which happens a lot, by the way. Oh, yeah. um, a, a big film or TV project can be worked on by like one executive and... It can be. It can even be done. Like they can shoot a pilot. They can even have a whole like several episodes of a series done. But before it airs, the the person who the, like the executive producer who worked on it will leave and go get a better job or a different job, mm-hmm. or, or they'll or be fired in disgrace. Whatever yeah. will happen. And then whoever is and whoever now in that job over, doesn't want to do it. They, well, because they can't put it out because if it's successful, it's not their success. Uh-huh. So and if it's unsuccessful, it's their fault for putting it, it is, out. It is, yeah. So a lot of those things are usually shelved, or they're kind of just shunted off to the side. Yeah, a lot of a lot and of movies that come out in January, for example, are just exactly, movies that just exactly. like we're not proud of it. Just put it out. Maybe we'll make our money back. Who made Serenity again? And uh, <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> not the not the one everyone likes. The new one with Matthew McConaughey is one of the worst things ever. <laughs> which is just amazing. It's, it's, See it's, that movie. Oh, it's it, amazingly it's bad. Terrifically bad. Oh. Um that but we I don't know if that's the case with Suburban Beat. Yeah. I wish I did know. I would love to That could it could have easily been the case. It could have been just uh, something was changing hands and it was a fine show that somebody didn't want to take responsibility for. I wish I'd seen this show so much earlier because I've interviewed Heather Langenkamp. I've interviewed D Wallace, I think. I want to talk like, about I want to talk to them about like Heather Langenkamp. You were in this amazing show. Why doesn't anyone talk to you? Heather Langenkamp was in a uh, the a TV movie about um, Nancy Kerrigan. Yeah, she played Nancy Kerrigan in Nancy Kerrigan's TV movie because they're identical. <laughs> yeah, and in fact, she actually found out that they were doing this TV movie, and she call- I interviewed her, and she was like, "Yeah, I called them up, and I said, you don't understand. I look just like her." And indeed, they had already cast someone, and when they got her headshot, they're like, "Oh, never mind, casting yeah. <laughs> Heather Langenkamp." Boom, <laughs> done. I heard that she. This is not true, but I heard that she went there in like an ice skating outfit. I wouldn't be surprised. It's like, hey. Look! Look! I'm, see? I'm in the costume. It's I'm Nancy, eerie. I'm friggin' Nancy Kerrigan. It's eerie what happens. Mm. I'm um, glad she, even she saw the resemblance. Yeah, like, she oh, knows. Oh, she looks like me. I, I could play. I'm an actress. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I could play her in a TV movie. It would be like if there was a politician who looked just like Keanu Reeves, but was like 10 years older than Keanu Reeves. Mm. And Keanu Reeves was like, whoa. <laughs> like, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Finally gonna get my, my uh, Oscar. Um, I, I still feel bad for Sean Young. Because oh, you know the course. story of Sean Young and Catwoman when they were making Batman Returns back in the early nineties, mm-hmm. they they were looking for who who should play Catwoman. Sean Young really really wanted to play Catwoman. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I don't know if she had well, some sort of uh, she, affinity with the character. She but... was cast in Batman. You oh, no, I didn't. She, she was originally cast in Tim Burton's Batman in the Kim Basinger role. She shot some of the movie. And mm. then there was a scene that didn't make it into the final cut where uh, the Kim, uh, Vicky Vale was supposed to be on horseback with Bruce Wayne, like on his estate. It was just mm. a dialogue scene. Sean Young fell off her horse, injured herself, couldn't finish the film. Oh. So they had to bring oh, in Kim Basinger. Okay. Yeah, and they only had to reshoot a little bit of it. But like mm. they had to bring in Kim Basinger. Sean Young was understandably upset. She lost the biggest role ever. Mm. That role could have really reignited her her career so when batman returns came around with tim burton back she really wanted the role and uh yeah it didn't work out oh, she would have made such a better vicky vale she'd have been a great vicky vale she'd have been a really great and but i like kim, kim basinger in that role fine well, sean young kim, had so much more presence kim basinger is more of like a sort of like a, a femme fatale type in that movie yeah well, she's more of a, she's like a femme fatale she's dressed like a femme fatale but she plays it more like a damsel in distress yeah a lot yeah, of the that's, time that's that's a better better and way to put whereas it i think sean young would have brought a sean bit young more would have been, well she would have been more lois lane i think like I a think little, so. little spunkier oh, she would have been such a good lois lane in the 80s yeah oh i was a huge fan of sean young Better, you don't really work very yeah. much anymore. How, however daring this may be, better than Margot Kidder. I think she would have been better than Margot I'm Kidder. I'm not a huge fan of Margot Kidder's Lois Lane. Well, I think I don't, I've, 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 seen, I've seen so many bad Lois Lanes that I want to see a Lois Lane story without Superman. Like I want, I oh, want to, that'd be great. I want to separate those two characters. <gasps> I want a universe with Superman with no Lois Lane and I want <gasps> Lois Lane to have her own investigative okay. reporting show. I, you know? Here's what I want. Here's what I want. I'm going to do this right now. Oh. Uh-huh. Amy Adams probably still under contract to do at least one more movie. I imagine they probably got her for probably, a bunch. Yeah. Get a Lois Lane movie. Mm-hmm. Just Lois Lane investigating something. Turns out there's a supervillain or something. Superman is off world doing some crazy shit. Lois or, Lane has to solve it herself. Or Superman shows up and she just says, like, doesn't even look at him. I'm here to help. Piss off. I'm gone. <laughs> 
Just holds up a finger. Oh, Not now, Clark. <laughs> that's such a good idea. That would be a solo Lois Lane movie that's just about an intrepid reporter. Yeah. And like she can investigate superheroic shit. There could be someone a, building death bots or whatever. She's but such a more much more interesting character without Superman nearby. That whole bit in Man of Steel where she just figures out who Superman is mm. first thing. Yeah. I love that Lois Lane. <laughs> that Lois Lane kicks ass. However, I will say this. Best Lois Lane ever still, Dana mm. Delaney. It, from the animated series, yeah. right? Yeah. Dana Delaney. Come on. Uh, She's the t- best. T- t- I, I saw some... Best live some, action, some I'd the, say, is Amy Adams. Terry Hatcher, but, but yeah. Terry Hatcher was fine. I, mm. I'm not... I wasn't... I liked Lois and Clark fine, mm. but it always felt more like a sitcom, really, than a real well, Superman that, that show. Was, in a that, lot was, of that was the pitch. I know it was the pitch. feel like a sitcom. I know it was the pitch, but that's not my favorite take. Okay. So she's good in it, though. Like, mm. I like that show fine, but there was, I was always a little disappointed by how um, unambitious that show was mm. as a Superman fan. Okay. However, as <laughs> you someone wanted, who... You wanted to see more Superman stuff and not, not Superman the relationship stuff. stuff. A okay. little more Superman. But again, I was young. I haven't rewatched mm. it since I was a kid. I remember thinking the cast was good and the writing mm. was good, but I didn't really love it. Uh, it's I, a cute show. I admired the premise. We're going to have a superhero show, but we're going to focus on the relationship instead of the superhero stuff. I remember mm. the first time I got the title. Lois, Lois and, and Clark. Clark. Oh, I, I, I wasn't old. like It wasn't like mm. last week. But I remember when I was a kid, I was like, oh, the new Lois and Clark is on. Wait a second. Lois and Clark sounds a lot like. Okay, you know what? Good job, everybody. Good job, everyone. Everyone, good game. Good game. Back to Suburban Beat. Suburban Beat is is four Lois Lanes. Uh, No Superman. The way the way the way Lois Lane ought to be. Just get rid of that Superman guy. If if uh, Suburban Beat had lasted 100 episodes, it would have been great. It would have been fine. There's no shortage of material. There's none. Anything. You don't even have to have a serious mystery in every episode. I just want to hang out with these people. All of the characters are great. They all have arcs they can continue to follow. Here's what here's the only problem with Suburban Beat. Mm. And it's the murder she wrote problem. After three or four seasons, you're running out of crimes that you can investigate from your suburban home. So either you have to relocate, which may could do, could do. It's still called, change the title though. I mean, yeah, it's still called suburban meat. Maybe they go to a new city. Maybe, maybe they, they are, uh, become destitute and they have to move into like sort of a, no, a, no, no. A poor neighborhood <laughs> or you have to bring in either, um, like Aunt Mildred from out of town. Well, they have like, that. They have Dee Wallace Stone's wife, yeah. a mom. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. bring in somebody else. Bring in Tyne Daly. Okay. <laughs> Sold. Everyone loves Tyne Daly. Yeah. Uh, or you have like intrepid teenage cousin from out of town. Well, eventually the you have to, like uh, do a character thing to throw it up. Eventually, uh, what's what's your name? Uh, Jenny Lewis from Rilo Kylie, and she was mm-hmm. also in The Wizard. She's gonna grow up. Mm. She'll be a teenager. You get that sort of younger uh, I, I a demo. A, I had a big crush on Jenny Lewis in The Wizard. There you go. <laughs> but, uh, no, I honestly, I think that we, what you do is you just have it evolve a bit. So, like, the mm. first couple of seasons, they're just doing it in their spare time. And you see that sort of conflict between what their responsibilities are right. as whatever they do. They're various right. different types of... of "Quote unquote housewives." Oh, I found a I found a bloody glove, and I have to put it in my purse. Oh no, I'm late to the PTA meeting, and I have a bloody glove in my purse. Yeah, that sort of thing. Tons of stuff you can do. Um, and I think after about two seasons, you switch it up just a little bit, and you actually have them start a private detective bureau. No, and then people no, no, actually no, come to, to them for for what? No, no, yeah, it, it, that's too organized. I like the fact that they're just a neighborhood watch. Well, that's that, organized. That that they're organized. That they're 
people first rather than their agency. That they're not they're doing it okay, because yeah, it's you in, sold me. They're doing it because it interests them, not because it's their business. No, I, no, I no, prefer you, that. You you sold me and uh, and you're right. And mm-hmm. I apologize. You're absolutely right about that. Um, however, again, I again, there's crimes everywhere, and the thing with suburban beat is they don't always have to be big crimes. Mm-hmm. It could be, uh, it, it, it could, could be, be like, it could who, be a civic crime. Like who, who's like what? Or, what company is like irresponsibly you know, dumping in, yeah. into the sewers and poisoning the water supply? Or it could be like something that, yeah. really, really simple, like someone at the bake, so someone, something at the bake sale poisoned everybody. We don't know what it was. Oh, there you we go. have to figure out who it was, and it turns out it wasn't even malicious, but someone was. So there's actually like a product out there mm-hmm. that's defective, and it's getting people sick and they're the first ones to notice that's a whole episode that's a whole episode it doesn't have to be a big deal with the crime every week and the reason why it doesn't have to be a big deal is because the characters are so good and then veronica mars is a great example of this if you watch the original series of veronica mars which i know you didn't i haven't it's excellent there was always like this central crime Mm -hmm. every season you know someone got murdered or who was sexually assaulted something. something big but then individual episodes weren't always big Mm-hmm. Individual episodes could be something like, oh no, someone stole everyone's like email passwords at school and is doing identity theft. That's it. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, oh no, there's uh, someone, uh, someone's dog is missing. I had to find the dog, and it turns out the dog actually has been dognapped by people who are stealing rare breeds. Done. All right. You don't need to have the crime be a murder every single week. Yeah, it doesn't always have to be an expose of yeah, society's for, wrongs. For sweeps, somebody's impaled on the town flat and pale. <laughs> Jesus. Like, yeah, somebody's like perched on the top, just right through their back. I would love to splayed out for the whole town to see. They would never do it in the eighties, but I would love to if there was like if Suburban Beat was popular and then we could like reboot it for today. <laughs> we well, can still reboot it. Why not? They're rebooting everything. I but no one there's no yeah. pre existing interest though. That's the problem. Right. Like so you're not like just like ooh, those like, are, he's gonna be those a new are blank. the best things to reboot. I know the things that I were know. good ideas but never got traction, just like Suburban Beat. Well, but then if you look at it, like there's the danger if you go too far in the soap opera angle you end up with I'm not saying this is an insult mm. you end up with Desperate Housewives which was which right. has a similar setup and you know another That's broad more, yeah, more about yeah the, the that was more soap opera than right, this. Right. We don't want a soap opera. We want a murder mystery show with little elements of uh-huh. that. And if you do that, then you can do things like there's a serial killer in town. Mm-hmm. Something Desperate Housewives did, but it's a little different when the same four people are trying to track down the killer every single yeah. week. So there's a ton you could do with this. Mm. God, I wish there had been more episodes of this show. Like, yeah, I really would have yeah. loved to, at least a season. I would have loved to have seen all these. Dee Wallace is wonderful. Shelley Fabre is wonderful. Mm. Heather Langenkamp is wonderful. Patty Austin is wonderful. They're all really good in this. They're all really good. And here's something I appreciate. I believe that they all know each other. Yeah. Like, they, they all, when you get together, they're sort of talking each other up and conversing in a very natural way. So by the end of the episode, when they seem like they're kind of friends, you buy it. Yeah. So you got Dee Wallace and Shelley Fabry. They've clearly been friends for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And at some point, they were, they were at the exact same level, and then Shelley Fabry got divorced, and she started living the single life again. And you can tell that Dee Wallace is living, like, a little vicariously through her friend. Uh-huh. But they're still very, very close. Heather Langenkamp is totally the fifth wheel and they don't want to hang out with her even <laughs> Dee Wallace thinks this young girl is pathetic she's like alright fine we'll walk you home but gradually they find out that she's got more cooking like mm. she's a little smarter than she thought and she's a really good getaway driver god that image is so funny and then Patty Austin is just Patty Austin she's a badass and you know there would be an excuse for her to sing oh for sure you know what this show didn't really have that we saw it didn't have like a credit sequence properly it had an opening credits. Well, it had an opening credit sequence with was, footage of episodes that were never shot. No, no, it was mostly from this episode. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe I, it was I, some outtakes. I feel like there were some weird, weird like images that we didn't get to see, like when the I, football helmet. 
I don't remember the football helmet at all. But anyway, there was a scene where where uh, somebody slid a football helmet down a bar. I think that was just an outtake from the bar thing. From the yeah. bar scene. I'm sure they were in the bar scene. They should, got a little bit of footage and they end up not using that. Here's the thing, though. When I say there isn't an opening credit sequence, what I mean is there isn't an opening credit sequence with, with a song by Patty Austin. Oh, fair. Yeah, that's what you do. Like, as soon as, like, when you show me this pilot, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm sold. I want a full season run to start with. I want a huge marketing campaign. My one note it's a dark, we have Patty Austin and a, she's not singing. What is the matter with you? You do a dark, upbeat ballad called Under the Lawn. I don't. No, <laughs> it's under the law, but you do a lot of lawn jokes. There you go. Yeah, there's sheer justice. <laughs> no, that's more pruning, really. Mowing down the bad guys. There you go. Perfect. Um, anyway, when, when you hit the sprinkler head of fate. To make a long story short, was Suburban Beat canceled too soon? Absolutely, it was. Hell yes, this was a. Ri- I, no one talks about I, this. This is I on no list of as, the best pilots ever. As we've already said, I don't know. What is wrong with this that it got canceled? I cannot picture it. It, it doesn't look like it's too expensive. No, it looks the, like any other show. The, the talent was good, but you know they're not like such huge stars that they're paying out of the nose like, through the nose for. Dee Wallace was probably cost some money. Shelley Fabre mm-hmm. was a bigger star at the time, but she was you know she, they were able to get her on Coach. Fine, so who gives a I mean, crap? Heather Camp was a rising star. They have you know network TV money, so mm-hmm. they can probably afford to pay these people what they want. Yeah. Yeah, there there wasn't a big effect scene. There was a ca- one car chase that might have been a little expensive, but they're not necessarily going to do that every episode. No, nor should you. That's Honestly, the pilot. No excuse, so you, yeah. you dump a little extra money into the yeah, pilot. You really get people I th- on board. The only thing I can think of was that it was too sexy, and it wasn't even that sexy. No, I don't think it was too sexy. I, I, there's two possibilities: either mm. it tested badly, and that sometimes means it just had a shitty test audience. No, like nice. you look at like you look at like, shame on you, 1984, t- 80, early 85 like, test audience. Like test audiences are, are, are crap because who they get to actually test the audience isn't necessarily people who are actually going to like the show. Yeah. For well, they're, example, they're trying to figure out who like the show so they get a good cross but they, section. But they often don't. For example, uh, when the movie Seven. Uh, classic horror thriller serial mm-hmm. killer movie. Yeah, super noir, super yeah. noir. Great movie. I love that mm-hmm. movie. Uh, when they screened that for test audiences, it had insanely low ratings. People hated it. Huh. And one of the reasons that it was determined why that probably was the case is when they asked people on the street, because they would just go up with flyers like, hey, you want to see a new movie for mm-hmm. free? And just answer a few questions. Do it all the time. They would ask people, "Do you want to see?" They wouldn't ask people, "Do you want to see like a dark serial killer thriller?" Yeah. What they said is, "Want to see a free movie?" No. What they said is, "Do you want to see a movie from the stars of Legends of the Fall and the Shawshank Redemption?" Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So people weren't interested in. They weren't ready for that. They didn't actually hit the target demo. So, and sometimes you just don't know who the demo is. Sometimes you think the demo is going to be one audience, and actually mm. other people end up embracing it. Bronies. <laughs> there you go. So. Perfect example. So maybe their test audience system was flawed. Mm-hmm. Maybe there were some behind-the-scenes politics and the producer lost their production deal with the company and they just went... There are tons of bullshit reasons. I don't know what they are. What I can tell you is that it's bullshit that this show didn't <laughs> at least get picked up for a season. Yeah, at least yeah. a, a mid-season replacement or something. Mm-hmm. It's nonsense because there's nothing wrong with this show it's funny. It's got a great well, cast. You can find it online pretty easily, and I recommend checking it out if you can, because it's really quite delightful. It could have been, and this is, again, this is just more wild postulation. Pure, pure speculation. What shows from 1985 were like it? Because it could okay. have uh, resembled, because Murder, She Wrote was on in 1985. God, is it really that old? Yeah. Okay, maybe. Um, 
I'm looking up like the biggest hit shows of 1985, stuff like Who's the Boss, The Facts of Life, stuff I watched actually. The Golden Girls was on. Uh, uh, Murder so, She Wrote was on, so maybe it was seen as too much of a knockoff. Yeah, too much of a murder. Cagney and Lacey was running. Murder okay. She Wrote was running. Maybe a lot of people saw this as being too derivative. Uh, uh, maybe I can kind of see that. I disagree. I because feel I think like it's a good version of it. I feel, I feel like it is its own animal. I've mm-hmm. seen all those other shows, and this is well, you know st- is does it's, stand it's apart. It's worth pointing out that a lot of things are seen as derivative, and mm-hmm. then eventually are appreciated as their own thing. Like for example, when Friends came out mm-hmm. originally. It was written off by every critic that I read uh-huh. saying, oh, it's just a Seinfeld knockoff. It's about a bunch of people hanging out in New York and dating. Uh-huh. And, and, and indeed, it was. Friends, <laughs> are you sure you? Friends was greenlit because Seinfeld was successful and it had enough similarities that it seemed non-threatening. Eventually, Friends developed entirely its own aesthetic. It yeah. didn't have the cynicism of Seinfeld. And, pe- and then there started being Friends knockoffs. Speed mm. was considered a diehard knockoff. It was mm. diehard on a bus. Weirdly high concept for a low concept thriller. <laughs> but at that point, it was considered a diehard knockoff. And nowadays, it, I've mentioned mm. that Speed is a diehard knockoff and people get offended. It, it, it is. They, they put it on the post. Like some critic actually said that it's diehard on a bus and they put that on a poster. They were proud of that. Yeah. So that, that's the way they it. advertised it. And uh, the, the joke was some people started pitching it. It's like speed in a building. Oh, yeah. yeah that, that was the, the counter joke. Um, but uh, and, and it happens all the damn time. So, yeah, I feel like this was it's successfully its own thing. But you're right. You're this. That's probably makes more sense than anything mm. else. It was seen as a little derivative. Oh, However, you, you I know like what it, it was. You know what it was like was Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Oh, I never watched Which that. was a big hit. It was about a suburban housewife who becomes like a spy. I, I'm, okay. I'm not hugely familiar with Scarecrow and Mrs. King. But I never watched it. It's, it's clearly taking a lot of the trends that were really hot at the time and imitating a lot of hot, hot shows. Here's the th- so it could have been seen as something that was maybe too derivative for its own good. At the same and time, And we're though, far enough from it and not necessarily as well-versed in the hit shows of 1985 as we perhaps should be. Okay, to, that's fair. To see and understand that. That's fair. However, my counter-argument is this. Mm-hmm. I don't care if a show is derivative if it's good. Okay. I literally don't care. Like, mm-hmm. if you do the X-Files, but, like... Instead of investigating aliens, they're investigating only ghosts Uh in the FBI. And it's great, and it's really well written, and the cast is wonderful, and it feels like its own thing. I don't Uh care. (laughs) I do not care. Like, Mm. at all. Like, if R.I.P.D. was brilliant, (laughs) like, if it was just really well made, I wouldn't have cared if it was a Men in Black knockoff. I'd be like, great. But it's a bad Men in Black knockoff, and that's the problem. If it's a good knockoff, Mm. awesome. Mm. I don't care. I just want to see a good movie. I just want to see a good show. I want to see a good movie. White White House Down is diehard. Shamelessly diehard. It's diehard in the White House. A, great idea. B, they did it impeccably. (laughs) They did it really good. And even if you prefer Olympus Has Fallen, same thing. Mm. It's just diehard in the White House. House and you liked it fine. White House Down is better. I agree. For, White House Down is better. But by, even, if you prefer least, Olympus is, even if you prefer Olympus is yeah. Fallen, the argument holds true. Is my point. Yeah, true. Yeah, White House Down Down is better by a factor of twenty. Oh, it is. It's I, so much better. I I'm actually like I called White. There's two like quotes mm. I'm actually proud of that I've said about movies. Mm. 
and I'm not going to say I'm like I should be proud of them, but I am. Uh, <laughs> one was uh, White House Down is the diehard of diehard knockoffs, and I stand it's, by that. It is. And if they were it's smart, the- they would have put that on a DVD cover or something because I felt that that told you everything you needed to know. It is mm. a shameless diehard knockoff, but it's really good. Well, the other one I wrote that, that implies that you and people like you and I are actually kind of on board with the phrase diehard knockoff because we admire diehard so yeah, much. It's fine. It's a genre. Uh, yeah, it's a genre unto like, itself. Speed but wasn't ashamed of it, and that you, worked you, out well for you. Put speed. the word knock off on your poster advertisers don't like that well whatever Studios i didn't, I didn't like do that. it for them yeah. i just did it because i meant it mm. but uh at the same time the other one i was proud of and they've never put this on a poster because it's mm. horrible uh was uh, taken three makes taken two look like taken <laughs> <laughs> i was very happy with that yeah, one yeah. that was i thought that was a good and line. A- accurate as well <laughs> yes god taken three sucked. <laughs> you you once wanted to put it to both of us we did this cute little writing exercise and they actually published this so this this is the kind of wild west days where we used to work but uh, you said we should write film reviews that were nothing but gene shallot style puns oh my god i forgot about that <laughs> I forgot about that. And you asked me to review Thor, because this was back in, like, 2011. So he said, review Thor using nothing but puns. So I had to look up, like, all these weird kind of Norwegian terms and made, like, references to Norwegian wood. And and I ended up with Thor. It could have been Norse. And... (laughs) I, I am... As equally ashamed um, and proud with that phrase. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a really good one. <laughs> Could have been Norse. Oh, God. Mm. This show is over. Uh, everybody, <laughs> Thanks for listening to Suburban Beat. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Mm. Uh, we hope we raise your awareness of a really fun show. Um, next week, we'll be back with, uh, because it's Whitney's birthday, he just gets the pick, and it doesn't matter. It could be anything. Oh, and uh, we're doing the Weird Al show. This, this is one I've been kind of wanting to get to because this is really on. We talked about doing we talked this. about doing the Weird Al show. Uh, the Weird Al show was a Weird Al Yankovic, a famous, the world's most famous uh, comedy um, musician. Yeah. Uh, decided to, he wanted to do a t- television program. He had done a movie. It wasn't a hit. It really hurt his feelings. It was a good movie, though. UHF it's, is funny. It's an excellent movie. I've watched it more than most movies. <laughs> I, I, when it came out on VHS, I just rented that thing incessantly. It's a funny film. Yeah. Dang, dang funny. Uh, and But it came out in 1989, like, opening against... Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and, and Ghostbusters 2, and it was just lost in it's the a, shuffle. That's a rough weekend. Yeah, and so... Uh, he decided to move to television. He wanted to do a Pee Wee's Playhouse style children's program, live action children's program, where he is the ho- he is the eccentric host at the center of it. Mm-hmm. Totally living, up his living, alley. Yeah, living yeah. in this weird, strange, exotic location. There's all these eccentric characters who visit his underground lair, and they they learn important lessons and do funny stuff. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. <laughs> I've never seen it. I think I've seen uh, half an episode once. Uh, like I, have, it was on. I have the DVDs. You listen to the DVD commentary tracks, and it's just the the showrunners like flagellating themselves, saying "mea culpa" over and over again. <laughs> it, they, yeah, they're pretty much admitting just how everything went wrong with this show. And I'm really fascinated by the Weird Al show because it really is Weird Al's sense of humor. It's his sensibility. It's Weird Al. He's yeah. on camera, and 
it sucks. And I, and I want to figure well, out uh, like what time, went wrong. When was the last time you actually revisited it? It's been it? a long time. Maybe it's better than so you remember. Maybe it's better than I remember. But again, liked, I've only seen half an episode to, and I thought it was okay. I would love to revisit the Weird Al show, so we're going to. That sounds like a hoot. Um, meanwhile, we have a whole bunch of cool stuff planned uh, for the next month. Uh, we also, uh, in September, we're going to do our annual event, Suddenly Last Season, <laughs> in which we're going to focus entirely on shows that were canceled very recently. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like we have a short this year or last year, most recently could be could be famous, could be popular, could be just strange. And there's a bunch of stuff that was already on our radar. But if there's anything that was from this last season, like something that pre- aired premiered like after September first, mm. two thousand eighteen, uh, that is now canceled, only had one season or less. Uh, please tweet us. Let us know mm. at Cancelled Cast. Tell us, like, because if your interest will help dictate yeah. this, we yeah. have some now, interest in things like Swamp we, Thing and Tuca and Birdie, obviously. Mm. But uh, tell us if there's yes. something else. Please tell us. People, yeah, Swamp Thing was canceled. People are instantly on us. Like Swamp yeah. Thing was canceled after one episode. Do it. Do it now. <laughs> I was like, well, let's wait a bit. Let's see if it. Oh, it really is canceled. Okay, yeah. we might do Swamp Thing. Same thing with Tuca and Birdie. It's so critically acclaimed that. I don't know what their deal is with Netflix. Maybe they're not allowed to shop it around. That wouldn't mm. surprise me. But it would also wouldn't surprise me if they could. So yeah. we're going to give it a little time, see if any other network is smart enough to pick and, it up. Uh, because, spoiler alert, I fucking love that show. And please and, uh, watch Duke and Birdie. It's so good. Full disclosure, I'm friends with the show's creator. So, okay. Yeah. Well, well that's not, awesome. not Not super close, but we know each yeah, other. Enough yeah. to say hello. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, and I'll just tell you right now, the show's, show's brilliant. I love that show. <laughs> um, so, but please, send us suggestions. We'll take note of them. Uh, I'm not going to guarantee that we'll do all of the uh, ones we get the most votes for, but it does help put them on our radar so we know that they're out there because there's always something. Mm. Something you miss. We have a bunch of sci-fi shows people want us to do. This is uh, how we discovered Blood Drive, so I'm looking forward oh, yeah. to, to whatever's coming. There's actually, what was it? Was it like Assassination Classroom or something? It was oh, like I uh, what, yeah, on sci-fi, yeah, yeah. we got some requests for that. Okay. Um, so there's Every, everything, everything sucks. Everything sucks. Yeah, that was actually last season now. Oh, shoot. It's we too late. To, well, we'll, we'll, point, we'll get to everything At sucks. some point, we need to do, regardless of how many shows we do in suddenly last season, we really need to do a Netflix month. Fair, like fair, nothing fair, but yeah. Netflix because there's a ton of stuff on Netflix. <laughs> nothing but Netflix. Isn't that cute? That's actually not bad. We could use that. <laughs> that, that I love the, titling things. <laughs> I gotta, love it so much. Gotta be a pun. Where's the pun? Ah. Um, so everybody, thank you very, very much for listening. Uh, and especially thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. Patreon.com slash Critic Acclaim. Every last one of you. Good yeah. God, what a sexy lot. You're the best. Mm. Um, so thank you everybody who joins up. We have a ton of exclusive content over there. There's more to come. We're about to do our commentary track for Twilight sometime this next week. Mm. Very excited about that. Um Head on over there and check it out because there's a ton of stuff, and we hope to see you there. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And uh, we'll see you next week with the Weird Al Show. That's a wrap. We'll see you next season of the Weird Al Show. Mm.